Welcome to your podcast. This is Gary Schaller. And this is James Hager. And joining us again is Ken Mills. Tonight we're going to be celebrating the 35th anniversary of a great KISS record, the second KISS record, Hotter Than Hell. And we have, um, as I mentioned on the last podcast, we have a bit of an age spread here, as as, uh, our listeners know. We've got uh, Ken, a fan from the 70s. We've got me, a fan from the 80s. And we've got James, who became a fan in the 90s. So I imagine our, our earliest recollections of uh, Hotter Than Hell are all a bit different. Why don't we go in chronological order? Works for me. That would be me, the old guy, right? Uh, hit it, Methuselah. Well, um, I basically started with Kiss on the uh, Dress to Kill 8-track. I, I didn't really get exposed to Hotter Than Hell proper until I got the originals for my birthday of the year it came out. And that was an amazing package. Oh, it's a great record set. Um, I do have a copy of that, and I, um, you know, the only thing I regret about it is that I'm sort of spoiled on it. I, you know, having heard the records already, it'd be great to sort of open that up for the first time and have that be the uh, the introduction to one of those records. What was it like? Well, it was it was uh, it was amazing. The 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 one thing though is that you had already I already had the exposure from the Alive album some of the songs off of the first Kiss album and Hotter in Hell. But there were some amazing gems like, for example, Going Blind. uh, Stuff that never made an Alive album. What an unbelievable song, and I know we'll talk more about that when we get up to it, but, I mean... One of my top five favorites, easily. Same here. It's so good, and, you know, it's. I think it... uh, For me, that probably holds the distinction uh, of being the the best track on that album that wasn't featured on Kiss Alive. It is my favorite Gene Simmons track. Really? Of all time. Yeah, it's really, really good. Hotter Than Hell was one of those records that I got way, way later than uh, than most of the rest of them. Actually, I'm almost ashamed to say that I got it probably around 91 or 92. Okay. Um, and I got it that late just because, you know, I had a bunch of the Kiss records and... I was loving a bunch of the Kiss records, and then I, I really got into Pink Floyd and just immersed myself in that band. But when around the time Revenge came out, um, or just before Revenge came out, probably was when I started like immersing myself in in the music of Kiss again. And I picked up a vinyl copy of Hotter Than Hell. So I'm I'm pleased to say that I did listen to it for the first time on record. And I remember sitting in in my room on the floor with the record player. The first time Going Blind was played, and just. I, I I heard the probably like the opening riff right right up to the where the the lyrics start and picked up the needle and went right back to the song because it was that like the beginning of the song because it was that good and I had to hear it again. But um, great record, uh, James. What about you? 
Uh, my first exposure to Hotter Than Hell actually was a little different. Um, I became a fan in 98 and uh, I, you know, picked up the Psycho Circus record and wore it out completely. And that's really, other than, you know, some stuff off Destroyer and Dynasty, was the only kiss I knew. Wow. And um, I went to a record store to get a a CD for a friend of mine for Christmas because he was the guy that got me into Kiss so you know I was going to get him a Kiss album and the lady said well we just got you know some of the remasters of Hotter Than Hell in and for some reason I thought she meant that it was a new record brand new Hotter Than Hell 1998 and uh, we listened to it and then of course after I read the liner notes I realized that it was you know 20 some odd years old at the time at first listen my uh my favorite song was Parasite uh, because it was just, you know, it was so there and in your face. And, you know, anybody that ever said that Kiss was not heavy metal obviously hasn't heard Parasite. If I'm hearing you correctly, uh, James, you're the only one of the three of us who heard Hotter Than Hell before he heard Alive. Is that right? Absolutely. Wow. Wow. Absolutely. I didn't hear wow. Kiss Alive until after the uh, Farewell Tour. Huh. And uh, I, I was a Kiss fan for a long time before I was really, what I would say, a hardcore Kiss fan. I loved Kiss. They were my favorite band. I just didn't have the financial means or the knowledge of the catalog to seek out a lot of Kiss music. Right. Right. And um, I did one of those, uh, you know, buy or get five CDs for a penny or something like that, you know. And uh, totally screwed them over. And they really shouldn't have took a chance on a 15-year-old kid, but whatever. <laughs> and I got uh, Creatures of the Night, Unplugged, and Kiss Alive. Oh. And it was oh. just, what a great day. What a great yeah. day. I, I could just imagine, you know, what a great, uh, you know, sitting down and listening to those records for the first time. It was, it was boy, amazing. Boy. Um, it was just, it was surreal. So what was it like, uh, you know, first time you saw the album cover of Hotter Than Hell and you listened to that music, uh, don't you feel they match really well for some reason? Yes, uh, particularly with the uh, the type of uh, production that's on Hotter Than Hell. It's real gritty and real, um, real primitive sounding, you know. And for better or for worse, a lot of Kiss fans don't like it. I love it personally. Um, but the cover, and it, it, you know, the picture almost looks overexposed on the cover. Yeah. Yeah, you it know, really does. It really just, I mean, it almost looks like very primitive photography, um, very primitive developing techniques, and it just it just seems like it fit the production of the record so well. It it feels to me like a an, a record by an underground punk rock band. Really? Yeah, I, well, not in terms of the music, the, the songwriting or the arranging necessarily, but um, I don't know, around the time that I bought Hotter Than Hell was you know 9091 and that was when i was really getting into like independent music underground music um right before grunge became huge uh you know i was sort of finding out about like mud honey and sub pop and all that mm -hmm. stuff and started buying vinyl as a kind of listener you know as someone who sort of really started to care about music in, in a in a real way and that was right around the time that I bought Hotter Than Hell on vinyl. And something about looking at that record cover kind of, it, it doesn't, like it fits in oddly next to, you know, some of those like early Seattle punk rock records and I don't know, even like Ramones and other stuff. I can't explain kind why. Kind of like self and cheap produced. 
yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Like, for example, there's like a torn look on the back of uh, Modern Hell. There's yeah. like those torn edges. Right. I, I understand right. what you're saying. It was the one Kiss album cover, though, that I felt I had to hide from adults. Because of all the homoerotic. Well, that and the nipples with the stars on them. Right. Oh, the back cover. My God, we didn't even get into and that. And half uh, women bird things and <laughs> silver chicks. And an ace wearing a dress. Yeah, but he wears it well, Carly, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Boy, that, that back cover. Very, very bizarre. Looks better in a dress than I ever did, I'll say that much. I, I can I can vouch for that. What about you, Jim? <laughs> you guys have never seen me in a dress, let me tell you. Well, the night's young. Oh. Um, right. <laughs> but it, the one thing about the cover, though, is it really stands out from all the rest of the Kiss album covers. Uh, to me, yes. this was the one that came dangerously close to exploiting the concept of Kiss, if that makes any sense. Say more. Um, like, for example, there was a time when Kiss was dangerous. They weren't a family act. Right. This album cover looks like that. The first album cover, you didn't know if these guys were clowns or Satanists, Martians, whatever the hell they could be. You, you just didn't know right. what they were. Dressed to kill, guys in suits. It didn't really, you know. Then we wound up getting uh, three pieces of art that represented Super Kiss, in a sense. Kind of, yeah. Or like at least on their way to the comic book thing. Yeah. And then uh, you had the Dynasty Scavulo pictures, a collage, and, and who knows what the hell that's supposed to represent. But the the orgy going on <laughs> in the yeah. pictures and the, the strange costumes, it just, uh, it was the one album that kind of represented what Kiss was about. And the sound matches. It's that, you, you know, part of it is also that um, that thing that my friend Charlie refers to as the happy demon. It's it's like the old pictures of Gene where uh, he, he was always smiling, kind of leering. Yeah. And it was both uh, funny and also really scary at the same time. Almost in the way the Joker is like, uh, yes. you know, yes. you don't want that guy to smile at you. Yeah, exactly. It's it really really works. It's a killer record cover for a killer album, um, and what we're gonna do tonight uh, is something that we did with the first record last year, uh, the debut album, and we're gonna reconstruct Hotter Than Hell, which is gonna be interesting um, because almost all of the material uh, has been performed live, but not quite all of it, and not quite all by Kiss. So we're going to have to dig deep, um, and we've got some really, really classic rare cuts. And for fans of the original lineup, I think this is going to be like a Valentine's Day here because we're going to we're going to kick it off with some excellent uh, early recordings of Kiss. In fact, we're going to start this off in East Lansing in 1974 with a soundboard recording, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that these are the earliest uh, available recorded performances of music from Hotter Than Hell, and I think it's before the record actually even came out. And so, starting it off, here is Got to Choose, East Lansing, 1974.
absolutely amazing song. I love the way the originals played it. I, I love the way Paul sang it. And, you know, even in today's era, I love, you know, the way Eric Singer plays it. And, you know, the backing vocals are always just great. Just an amazing, amazing track. It is. A great guitar solo. It's one of those, it's one of, you know, that and like Firehouse, these kind of thematic ace solos. Really, really solid, solid guitar playing. Does this song sound like anyone else to you guys? Uh, well, I mean, are you thinking Sticks? No, I'm just I'm just curious. Does does this song sound like anybody else to 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 anyone else? It sounds so much like Kiss to me. It's hard to answer that question. Uh-huh. When I heard the songs off of this album in particular, they almost sound advanced for their time. This doesn't sound like the kind of music that was being played by like Foghat and Uriah Heep. There's there's something going on here. And it, it really, to me, this album in particular sets the early Kiss catalog apart from the rest of the music that was going on. I have to say you're probably right about that because the first album and Dress to Kill have more in common, uh, whereas Hotter Than Hell is sort of the odd man out. And the thing about the first album and Dress to Kill is that they sound similar to, like, say, Aerosmith's first record. They have the same arrangement, the same kind of sound. The guitar tones are the same. But Hotter Than Hell, really, uh, there is something kind of cutting edge about it, even though the production is so muddy. James, let me ask you a question. Yeah, go ahead. You're a guy who grew up, um, you know, listening to, like, late 80s and uh, early to mid-90s rock. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and a lot of those artists cited Kiss as an influence. And for me, to my ears... In particular, this album sounds like it, it sort of informed a lot of that music. Do you hear that? Sure. One of the, the big things when Ken asked what other band has got to choose remind you of, I hear a little, you know, when I think of, you know, the, the lines and got to choose, the big harmony, everybody singing, you know, the, you know, the baby or whatever. It reminds me a lot of stuff like Def Leppard. You know, I can, I can hear that. With the big harmonies, you know, the big backing vocals, you know, and then stuff, of course, you know, like Parasite and whatever. It's just, it's like, it almost, it's like grunge 20 years before grunge was even thought of. Like Even Flow by Pearl Jam. Absolutely. Or any song, I mean, like a lot of songs by uh, Alice in Chains and um, Soundgarden sound to me like uh, those guys were listening to a combination of Black Sabbath and Hotter Than Hell. I can go with that. And so going back to the record now, let's listen to the second track. And again, we're going to listen to, uh, to East Lansing, 
what can you say that hasn't already been said about such an amazing tune? You know, we've we've talked so much about that song, and Ken, you've talked about how important that yeah, that, that song that's, was. That's to the you. one that grabbed me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ace played bass on it on the studio track. Is it still a Kiss song? <laughs> of course, it's a Kiss song. All right. Just making sure, because you know. Just as yesterday is a Beatles song, and Beth is a Kiss song. Let's see what's next. Oh, going blind. Amazing. What is it about this song? I don't know. One of the biggest memories I have about this is I had a uh, eight-track recorder, and it was a sound design stereo. I don't even know if that company's still in business. But um, instead of going out and buying the eight tracks, you would either buy blank eight tracks or cannibalize somebody else's eight tracks. Like, uh, oh, look, it's a Debbie Boone eight track. Can I borrow that? And then it became a Kiss eight track. Um, (laughs) Anyway, I I took the originals and I put them on eight track. And my stepfather had this blue van that we drive around in. And guess what became the fuel for that van? That's right. Uh, the first three Kiss albums. Nice. And uh, I remember even my mom liking that track. And uh, I, I made everybody suffer through that through that this album in particular. And it sounded it's great on It's not a bad record track. to suffer through. What was that? It's not a bad record to suffer well, through. Well, if you're my grandmother, it might not be, you know, the best right. thing in the world. <laughs> um, do you guys, have you ever heard the... Going blind version that uh, Gene and Paul did on the Italian TV. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, James, you and I were just talking about that earlier today, weren't we? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the one we're going to play on here. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I have this, and I have. Uh, I got to say something. Like this is going to sound weird, maybe overly sentimental, but I'll I'll go there anyway. I have this really strong desire at the last kiss concert like the you know if they ever play like the last kiss concert or if at least gene and paul play their last kiss concert i really want those two guys to come out you know the way peter comes out to sing beth i want gene and paul to come out gene with his bass and paul with an acoustic guitar and i want them to play this song like this
The only thing I would change in that entire setup you just mentioned, okay? I would strongly want them to use the little lady from the land beneath the sea. It is a cool change. I remember hearing that for the first time on Kiss Unplugged on MTV and thinking it was a really neat lyric. Going Blind was a song I wrote with my school chum, Stephen Cornell. And in those days, I didn't think much about lyrics and have no clue why I sat down and wrote a lyric called I Think I'm Going Blind, except that I thought it was terribly romantic. It was about an old guy. I remember a movie called the, uh, Hemingway's The Old Man in the Sea. And my vision of that was the old man and a mermaid. Uh, little lady from the land beyond the sea, you know, and all that kind of stuff. She was this kind of love interest for this old guy. And when we were recording the song, Paul Stanley thought that the lyrics were ridiculous, of course, and he yelled out, I'm 93, you're 16. And for no reason that I can think of, I stuck in those, that was a, Paul Stanley's sole contribution to that song. I'm 93, you're 16. Can't you see I'm going blind? Of course, it makes absolutely no sense. I can't tell you what going blind means. It's also a leftover from the Wicked Lester days. Which is interesting because I think it's one of the songs that Wicked Lester did not record. Right. But I'll tell you what, I'd really like to hear a Wicked Lester version of that song. I love Wicked Lester. I, I'm looking forward to us doing our inevitable Wicked Lester show. Uh, <laughs> members of Wicked Lester, if you're listening, we would love to interview you. So please contact us at podcast at gmail.com thank you what was the original title for going blind little lady little lady little lady hooray it was also the song that they opened up their wicked lester set list with that was their opening song was it really yeah wow what a I'm strange opening song i know because like okay here's wicked lester if it even yeah, sounded who- like that at the time you know well, but you know what? Who knows what that sounded like with Wicked Lester? Right. right? It could have been flutes and a harp and harmonica. See, I want to hear that. I love Wicked a Lester. A jug band. I, have, I Kermit love Kermit the Frog. Ah, oh, so good. Lady, can't you see? And Gene borrowed the bass line from Mountain. Is that right? Yep. From what song? Not sure. But again, huh. Kiss Fack. Ah, you're really hitting the Kiss FAQ thing. Well, you? you know, gotta plug them. Thank you, Julian. Hooray! It's not um, just a message board. That's right. Actually, that's one of the funniest things. I'm sorry, we gotta take a, a like a, we gotta do our little message board geek out moment for a second here. One of the weirdest things to see on uh, the message board is when people say, uh, you know, like, who really played on this song? Or they say, um, <laughs> What? How did such and such chart, or how many weeks was? You know, it's like. Do you know hmm. where you're at? <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of like it's looking for paint in a paint store. Does anyone know where I can find some paint? Yeah. <laughs> all right, I have a really stupid joke. That I told you this joke, uh, James. I don't think I told you this joke. Did all I tell, right. Ken, maybe I did. Okay, what's what's red and smells like blue paint? I don't know. Red paint. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it's so wow. dumb, but it's so good. All right, let's talk about the title track to this record. All right. Do you like it? Do you love it? Could you do without it? I, I like it quite a bit. Um I have liked it more 
in the last two years, since Paul has uh, opted not to use the sit on my face line. Um, yeah, but that go, was cool during the Revenge era. That was cool yeah, at that point. Yeah, it was cool the first 65 times I heard it. Right. But then it got to be where he would accidentally mess it up and say he would sit on her face, and that's just a weird <laughs> image. <laughs> I'm just, I'm glad that Paul's back on the case. Yeah. Just... Yeah. My first Kiss concert, 1992, Revenge Tour, Metal Ants Arena, blah, blah, blah. Um, th- <laughs> there I was, and we were uh, with my, my, my friends and with my girlfriend, and we were a few rows in front of this very, very buttoned-down-looking mother. She looked like the mom, uh, the Matt Mock mother, the Mothers Against the Music of ah, Kiss yes. from Detroit Rock City, right? Very buttoned-down. You very mean my aunt. Like, Marsha, go on. Your aunt, yeah. Mar- Ken, uh, Ken's aunt, Marsha, yeah. right? Puritanical woman, and she was there with two kids who must have been, I guess, about ten, eleven, twelve years old, right around that age range, and they were digging this concert. Um, and Paul uh, really was f- just rife with profanity that night. I mean, it was it was like the revenge tour was the like the profanity tour. Well, I mean, they even had the Statue of Liberty give give the audience right. the middle finger. It's like, yeah, it was almost um, like he'd never heard it before, and he was yeah. making up for lost time. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, I mean, you know, I, and then going back after that, of course, like I really started listening to a lot of the the live recordings of Kiss, and during the '80s, you know, he told his his stories and whatnot. But it was really like every other word out of his mouth was was the f bomb, and uh, I I distinctly remember you know turning back a few times like probably during hotter than hell with the sit on my face lyric and whatnot, but I just remember turning around when the uh, the you know and they played War Machine and the Statue of Liberty crumbled and it was the skull with the middle finger, turning around the kids were having a blast and she had her top off. And she was butt naked. <laughs> no, no. She, and I turn around, and her kids were having a blast, and this woman's jaw was on the floor. Oh, my God. I, and, and it's, it, I guess, you know, lady, if you're listening, or kids, if you're listening, it's a testament to your mother that she stuck around. She really liked you, kids. She really liked you. That she really loves you. Like, that's a woman that is a nice mom. Because she stuck around. I agree with you, James. This is a song that's become nearer and dearer to me over the past few years. I think it's also because Absence makes the heart grow fonder. And this is a song that they haven't played into the ground like, you know, many of the other kind of great eight tracks from the first eight albums. And so only in 2008 when they started playing it again was it like, wow, you know, this is a really great song and I've been missing this. I, I, I would like to hear that in the set list next year. If you think about this record in its entirety... It doesn't, I don't think any song on this record, with the exception of maybe Let Me Go Rock and Roll, feels tired. Uh, yeah, you're right. I agree with that. Because they didn't play it at all in the 80s. You know, as, we, as you and I, Gary, discussed earlier, you know, the non-makeup kiss until the Revenge Tour didn't play anything from Hotter Than Hell. That's right. Isn't that weird? And it just, it is. It's very Eric strange. Carr, right? I mean, Ken... Correct me if I'm wrong, and listeners, if I'm if, if we're wrong about this, uh, you'll win a groovy prize. We'll we'll put something together for you. But um, to my recollection, to my knowledge, Eric Carr, to the best of my knowledge, never played uh, material from Hotter Than Hell on stage. Is that correct? I I believe that you're right. And and even if they did, the only one I could imagine 
would be hotter yeah, than hell. And I don't think they ever. Or, or let me go rock and roll. Nope. No, I know because that was not an '80s nope, track. That, that I think the first no. time that that came back into the set list after the Dynasty tour, I'm gonna nerd out here was 1993 Foundations Forum. Yeah, I, I think, think you're right. right. So. Here, without further ado, is Kiss performing Hotter Than Hell in Rio in 2009. It's not the greatest recording, but that is a really enthusiastic audience you're about to hear. Almost done with side one and um, as James mentioned this is a song that really got played a lot 
uh, starting in 1996 and and still today. It's it's one that's I think they've shaped up very nicely in the set. It's they have it down to some very tight grooves. It's a good arrangement. Um, and this is, of course, what they would end their shows with back in the day. Let me go rock and roll. What do you guys think of this song? Great tune. Um, it was one of the ones when I first saw that that tape of Kiss uh, Extreme Close Up back back when, and it was a copy. They showed a piece of a concert from Anaheim in '76. Um, Let me go rock and roll, and it was just it blew me out of the water. James, it's funny that you mention Anaheim '76 because a shadowy figure from the uh, from a dark alley uh, was kind enough to hook us up with um, a recording that is very rare and not really available um, to the general public, but we're going to share it with you because we love you. Um, and this is a soundboard recording from Anaheim. Now, some people are listening and they're saying, oh, it's a soundboard from Anaheim. We have that. We've had that for a long time. No. What we've had for a long time is a pro shot video of Anaheim with poor sound and the, the famous Destroys Anaheim bootleg. This is a soundboard recording of Anaheim 1976 that's really good quality, and this is Let Me Go Rock and Roll. Rock and roll! Yeah, yeah!
right, that's it for part one. Be sure to click on the next part for the rest of the show.